there, Marketing Sweats fans, it's Misty. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Season 7, where I'm talking with women out there killing it in heavy industries like manufacturing, construction, agriculture, and more. Today, I'm joined by Valerie Duque. She's the Director of Marketing Consumer Products at BNSF Railway. Armed with a degree in electrical engineering, Valerie joined the railroad straight out of college as an engineering management trainee. During her nine years in the engineering department, she was always involved in overseeing multiple signal construction products and the installation of systems throughout multiple BNSF operating divisions. Since that time, she's held multiple marketing and sales roles and now leads supply chain integration initiatives focused on process and technology integration with intermodal customers. She's an effective people leader and loves to put her experience to work problem solving to bridge the gap between customers, data integration, and technology. I'm so excited for you to meet her. So let's get to it. Well, hello again. I am so excited today to have Valerie Duque with me. She is the Director of Marketing for Intermodal for BNSF Railway. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. I am so excited. I know you and I had a chance to connect a little previously, so I want to circle back to our that conversation. But let's start at the beginning. So I always ask my my interviewees, tell me a little bit about your story and your upbringing, how you came up in the world. Yeah, of course. I was born in El Paso, Texas, which is one of the the bigger border towns that we have here in Texas. Um, about over half a million people that live there, probably more now. But it's also right next to Juarez, where there's like another 1.5 million people. So you got two million people that are right in that area. So I, I did grow up, what I would call, in a big town, but not a very wealthy town. Typically, most uh, El Pasoans are in the lower income brackets, and that's just due to the large population of, of migrant workers. You know, just like my parents, both they immigrated from Cuba, so I'm, I'm Cuban-American, and I'm a uh, first generation of my family to be born in the United States. So I think being raised in El Paso definitely had a, a big influence on my, my ethic, especially my work ethic. You know, I learned at a young age that things don't typically come very easy, that you're going to need to work for them. And that's a mentality that I still have today. Another significant point in my upbringing is I was raised by a single mother. My dad did pass when I was eight years old. And so it was really just my mom, my, my older brother, who was 12 at the time, and myself just, just trying to figure out life together. So definitely another impact in my life that's had a lot to do with uh, how I'm wired and, and who I am today. I mentioned my brother. So he's he's four years older than me, and he's my best friend. We have been since since kids, and a lot of that probably has to do with um, we just had to lean on each other to figure things out and to, to grow up. He works for the government. He still lives in El Paso. And of course, we're still very close. I mean, next to my wife, uh, he's probably the person that, that knows me the best. Sure. And then, of course, my wife, we met about seven years ago. We've been married for three years, and we live now in Fort Worth, Texas. We got married just before COVID hit Texas, and everything went into shutdown. So... Definitely an interesting way to, to start a marriage. <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> yeah, but but we're still going strong and look forward to growing older together. And, and we have our three fur babies. We don't have any kids, but we do have three dogs. We love sporting breeds. And so we have an English pointer, a German short hair pointer and a, and a Boston Terrier. And then from time to time, when we when we have time, we, we do help with the local fosters here, the, the local sporting breed rescues. That's awesome. What a great recap. Thank you so much. So tell me, I know your brother was a big influence in your life. As a kid, what were your interests? And how did that then translate into maybe your, you know, career trajectory or your education? 
I think I always wanted to get my brother to like me and accept me. So, you know, whatever cops and robbers or, <laughs> you know, army or whatever that we had to play. I mean, I, I I definitely would try to do that. But I think it's good, safe to say that I also really enjoy sports. I still do to this day. I, I played basketball in middle school and, and high school, but I was always into like street uh, hockey into basketball there at the um, the courts that we had there with our friends. So sports has always been a big part. I always liked riding my bike and I'm still like that to this day. I like cycling and I like mountain biking. So that's something that I really like to do with as a kid. I mean, I, th- I think I'd always say that I always like to work with my hands. If something was broken, I'd like to figure out how to fix it. And we had a little bit of that going on too, because we just had to, you know, trying to make ends meet. And if there was uh, something broken at the house, uh, the kitchen sink was leaking or something, I always be like, well, let's just try to figure it out. And most of the time we were successful. So that was always fun. So walk me through your education journey and kind of your early career trajectory. I actually graduated from high school when I was 16. I always tell people, I guess I was in a hurry to to get to college. I went to the University of Texas at El Paso, UTEP, go Miners, where I majored in electrical engineering and uh, graduated uh, summa cum laude. When I was 21, I uh, started working for, for BNSF Railway as an engineering management trainee. And uh, a couple of years into my career with BNSF, I took advantage of the tuition reimbursement program that we have and obtain my master's in project management from the Keller Graduate School of Management. Wow, that's awesome. Just a little bit more about, you know, my career with BNSF. So the first, I've been with BNSF for 19 years. And um, the first nine years of my career, I was in the engineering department where I held various leadership roles in our maintenance and construction teams. Moved around the United States about seven times. You know, when when you work for the railroad, it's pretty common for you to move around, especially if you if you work in the field. And during my time in engineering, I spent the majority of my time leading teams that were installing positive train control. It's also known as PTC all over our network and probably one of the most fulfilling, but also one of the most difficult jobs that I had. So learned a lot during that time and also did a lot of growing up during that time. But one of the, the exciting things about that is I'm, I'm told that I was uh, the first female signal engineering supervisor at BNSF. And that's just based off of what others told me that, you know, they couldn't recall ever seeing a female in this role in the past. And so I think I'm just happy to say that, you know, I was able to open that door. And, and now I think there's a handful of, of females that work in our engineering department. That's amazing. I love that. So talk a little bit about your role today. About 10 years ago, I moved into our marketing department where I've held various roles. I was in sales and consumer products, also in chemicals and plastics. I was marketing manager for our food and beverage pricing, led a team in our customer service department where we're responsible for transborder shipments and, and dimensional freight. And then my my current role that I have today, so I'm director of marketing that's focused around process and technology integration with our domestic and international intermodal customers. So I'm back in our consumer products business unit. I love that. So for those of our listeners who don't understand what intermodal means, can you explain that? Yeah, of course. So the easiest way to explain that is anything that moves in a box, a container, steamship container. We also have domestic containers. And so if it's coming off of a ship that came from overseas, it's considered international freight. And then we do have domestic freight as well that that moves in 53 foot containers. So that's also the size of the trailers that you see on the road. That's what we would consider a domestic intermodal move. 
That's awesome. Well, and you and I talked a little bit, you know, just about the industry overall and how, you know, there's only a couple major railway systems, but you guys also compete with like trucking and logistics organizations, but you also collaborate with them. So can you kind of walk our listeners through the business model a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So you're right in that sense. We're we're one of five class one railroads in North America. A lot of history that comes with any railroad. BNSF's railroad goes back uh, 170 years and it's a makeup of several different railroads. We move all types of freight. And so we're one of the top transporters of products and materials that you see and you use every day. So anywhere from like grain products to coal, to like industrial raw materials like plastics and lumber, steel, paper. The majority of the freight that we actually move is finished goods, which is moving in a container, which is in our intermodal business unit. So I'm talking things like appliances, furniture, clothing, those things that you have in your home likely moved in a container at some point, And it's very possible that it also touched a, a railroad. We partner with some of the largest trucking companies in the United States and also with steamship lines that move goods from overseas to make up what is the largest intermodal railroad. And so where almost half of the freight that we move is moving in either a container or trailer. And we've strategically positioned intermodal hubs throughout our network. Our network is west of the Mississippi predominantly and located in 28 states and three Canadian provinces. But the reason that we're focused on these points of where these intermodal hubs are located is because we're in major metropolitan areas where likely a lot of that freight is is going to be delivered to. But then also we partner with uh, trucking companies and drage companies that will also do that last mile if it's going to go anywhere outside of that metroplex, like somewhere from 100 to 300 miles. That's so cool. Last time you and I talked, you said that some of your favorite things to do are help problem solve, right? And that's, I was surprised by that being in a marketing role, but that's ultimately what it looks like in your day to day. For sure. We have a department that's called marketing that it has several different components and one of them is sales. But I always tell people that come and ask me about this department is uh, we're not our traditional marketing department. We really are problem solvers, account managers. And the cool part about the railroad is that every department that you can think of from a legal team to a finance team to, you know, like the engineering team that I mentioned, our technology team, it's all, it's all in-house. And so that's going to be part of your job as you're working with your customers and collaborating with your customers to, to solve problems or create new solutions. You're going to work with those different departments within the team. And that's really like the essence of your role of what you're doing is solving problems. Yeah. Well, I want to dig into some of the biggest issues that you're focused on, but I want to circle back because as you were walking me through your career trajectory, it occurred to me, you know, just being a female leader in these areas, maybe how your experience has evolved through the years from being sort of closer to the work of the day. And then now as you've grown into more of a senior position. So would love to hear just what some of your early experiences look like and then kind of how that's changed or evolved as you've grown in the organization. I still do this today, but early on, a lot of learning. It's like I always tell everybody, you don't go to school to learn railroading. I mean, you can talk about I've gone from leading a maintenance team that fixes signal systems to 
leading construction teams that are putting signal systems in the ground and all the way from in the ground to in service. You know, I think I've held about 12 or 13 different roles at BNSF and I've done that in 19 years. And so, as you can imagine, every time you start a new role, it's like, let's, let's learn how to do this role. So a lot of learning. So it's something that you just get used to, right? You just get used to always be constantly in learning mode. Don't ever be surprised if you learn something new. Wow. I didn't know that's how something worked. I think I should have, but I didn't, you know, it's just, it's, it's common in our roles every day to where I think now the big things that of how I've grown from the way that my roles used to be before to now being more in, in a leadership role is those are the things you get used to, right? Constant change, constantly learning, constantly solving problems. You may have thought that that solution that you put in place a couple of years ago was solid and it was going to be something that worked forever. But then here we are talking about it again because the situation has changed. Supply chain will do that to you like COVID, right? COVID has made us think about things very differently. It's pushing us to do things differently. Like a big part of what I do in my role today is solving technology problems with our customers, right? We've, we saw in the supply chain that there were several challenges in the supply chain. And one of those, uh, the one that I'm focused on is just the visibility in the supply chain, being able to see from first mile to last mile, because it's very important to us and to our customers that we can pinpoint locations of where freight is located and then allow us to track it all the way until it reaches its final destination. Because someone, someone needs to, someone needs to eat, someone needs that materials. We transport very important goods for like the medical industry and for and for the military. And so it's very important that we're always staying very close to that and always being nimble and being able to create solutions. So I think, you know, like I said, I've just gone from being in that learning mode to where now naturally learning is just an everyday thing in my job and then just applying everything that I've been able to learn in the last 19 years to be able to apply that to solutions. That's so cool. And you did share that issue with me about the sort of visibility into the system. Are there other issues like that that are sort of very present in your day to day that are a little bit future looking that you guys are trying to work through? I think part of that is being able to be ready for the ebbs and flows of volume, right? So sometimes we're really busy and then sometimes things slow down, but it's being ready for the really busy seasons, right? Which it kind of seems that really busy seasons tend to overlap now. You know, you've you've got the the holiday season, but then when you come out of the holiday now, you know, you've got the spring season where there's different things that people want to focus on that and then moving into the summer where everybody wants to start traveling and so there's different different types of freight that go into the travel industry, right? And so it's just always being ready for the way that that changes. But then I could be telling you right now, Misty, what the way that things look today, it's not the way that it's going to look 5 years from now. And so I think what I really like about my job is we're not thinking about the way that things are today. We're trying to think of all those different types of possibilities of how the supply chain can change between now and five years and 10 years from now. And the fact that we can pull different levers um, in order to be able to react to that, where before pulling that lever could take a little bit longer than we wanted to. And before we knew it, we're already past that time. But now we're putting different levers in place. We're being very smart and intentional about it. That, hey, that thing that we did last year worked really well. Let's make it permanent. Let's make it a possibility. And if we need to pull that lever again, we can make that decision very quickly and put it in place. That's so cool. I love how Symantle as a company, we focus a lot on infrastructure brands and really like moving the world forward. And so you're dealing with really like macroeconomic issues almost and like seeing it at a ground level. Um, I want to circle back to 
you know, you mentioned COVID. I'd love to hear what your day-to-day looked like to change quickly in that environment um, when that first started happening and kind of how you had to react knowing that you guys were still probably an essential industry to keep the world moving forward. Yeah, I was in probably one of the scariest roles that I could be in, I would say. I don't know if that's the right word to describe it. I was in customer service at the time. And so it's essential that people come to work every day, have equipment that works. They can answer our customers' phone calls. I mean, I know this thing, these things we take for granted, but I'm talking about to the point of where you have electricity going to your home, you have, you know, you've got power, you've got good internet, you've got good devices to talk to customers and that your computer is working. I say these things because we take them for granted every day, but you'd be surprised. I mean, now we know it because of COVID, these things go down and out all the time, right? And so it was essential at our uh, customer service center that everybody would come to work every day when there used to be flexibility, I would say, in other areas. So then COVID happened and it was like flipping a switch very quickly of something that we probably never would have tested if it wouldn't have been for COVID. But hey, let's give it a try and let's send everybody home with the equipment that they need. There were some some growing pains there of making sure that everybody was able to to connect with the different platforms that we use, VPN issues, making sure that you have the right speed and internet, and then you know just being able to still have that connectivity with all the different groups that you work with, because there's several different groups even within our customer support. But before it was like, well, they're over in the next cube and they're over in the other cube. And so it was really easy to connect. And so it was creating those environments that we would make it very easy for us to be able to connect with each other whenever we needed to, right? So utilizing the Zooms, the Teams and all that was very essential and getting comfortable with it, right? I'm one of those people where it's like, turn your camera on. It's going to make this a lot easier. If I can see your face, we can have a conversation. I know some of us aren't a fan of that, but it was like little things like that, right? I would say one of my teams was not always the biggest fan of having touch points throughout the week. But then when COVID happened, they saw the value. And, you know, I used to schedule an hour and they used to say that an hour was too much. Well, then during COVID, an hour wasn't enough, you know? And so sometimes in some ways, I think it even brought us closer that we would have those conversations, always knowing what was going on in each other's world. So that way we could all continue to move fluidly and make sure that the trains kept moving. Absolutely. Well, I can tell that you are a relationship builder. I um, I learned of you because I was at a conference and I asked about marketers in the railway industry and, and your name came up. Talk a little bit about um, the importance of relationship building, both in your leadership role today, but then maybe what that's meant to you as a female working in traditionally male dominated fields. How did you sort of gain fans of your own to continue to grow and change in the organization? Relationships are important to me. You make me think of how I I do consider myself an introvert, but it's important to me that I make connections with people. So even though I, I feel like I need to be an extrovert at work, I also enjoy being an introvert whenever I come home. Get your energy back. I get that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's how I need to get my energy back. But relationships are important in all aspects of my work or even in my life. I mean, at work, I, it's important to me that I know who who does what and what makes that person tick. Because you never know, and, and this has come back full circle multiple times, when I'm going to come across that person in my career again. And it's very important to me that I've had that positive interaction with them. Um, so that way I can just hit the ground running and we can get to work, right? That's awesome. Never burn a bridge. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah. Never burn a bridge for sure. Yeah. Thankfully, I don't think I've ever encountered that before, but 
as my career continues to progress, you know, like I said, 19 years with this company and I started my role six months ago, it's a perfect example of a lot of the people that I'm working with. I have worked with most of them in the past. And so it's made that role that much easier. Like, Hey, I I hear you're doing this now. We've worked together in the past. Let's work on this new thing together. And, and it just makes it that much easier to make that connection and be able to move forward. And then, you know, when it, when it comes to be working in a male dominated industry, I, I just, I apply that same logic, right? I, want to connect with people and I just want them to look at me for for who I am, right? And so I always give the advice of don't be afraid to be you. Different is good. I think that we all will see that if you continue to show them your true self, right? If you're just patient with people, you yourself don't judge people and you give them an opportunity to get to know you, even if you look differently, even if you aren't, you, you, it's very likely that you're not the same person. Just let the process happen. Believe in the process. People will come around and you'll be able to make that connection with the person. Was there a key point in your career where you started to really see yourself for your own strengths or identities? I, it's one of the themes I've heard on this season from a lot of female leaders that once that clicked for me, that this is who I am and I can't change who I am, so I'm just going to start operating this way, then like I kind of took off. How would you articulate? Did you have that moment in your career? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we all have that moment in our career where you, you've got to hit that moment of being you and being comfortable with who you are, Right. I, I kind of take it back to the moment that I felt like I was able to add value in my roles. And so I think I, that happens in every role, right? You get to a point where, whoa, okay, I was able to answer that question, right? And because I feel like every role we do, we're learning something new. And then eventually one day you realize, oh, I was able to answer that question. And for me, I would say somewhere around five or six years into engineering, you know, it got to a point where I saw I was the one that was teaching people how to test signal systems, how to put them in service. Oh, when something goes wrong. Yep. I remember that happened, you know, one time having the experience, maybe we should try to do this. And sometimes that was the issue that, that fixed it. Right. And then that's also a moment for you where you make a connection with the person where they're like, Oh, okay. She actually knew how to troubleshoot that and how to fix it. And Maybe she does have a few things to add value here and there. And so that just kind of, that's a catalyst for the relationship, right? Just being able to make that connection with each other. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I would say definitely I had that moment and I probably had that moment again about five or six years into my time in marketing, right? Because making a big change from engineering to marketing, it's like, I always tell people, it's like changing companies. It's like you're, you're learning a completely new language and a new lifestyle. And so after holding a couple of roles in, in marketing, same thing, you know, start a role and people are talking to me about things that, yep, I've actually experienced that before. And I feel like I can add value. And again, trust yourself, be comfortable with yourself and just voice it out. Absolutely. Was there anything else as you came up in your career? I can think back as a female leader, often commanding rooms of traditionally male dominated companies where I really had to figure out my own style of leadership. And for me, it was very much facilitative, asking a lot of questions, connecting dots and and that sort of thing to add that value that you talk about. What did that look like for you? Like when you came into your own sort of self as a leader? You know, I think what what did it for me was when I I finally would get that feedback from the guys that I was leading. The one that really stands out to me is this interaction that I had with this individual that made it very clear. I don't like my supervisors. I just want to be left alone. 
I just want to do my job and you don't need to bother me when I'm doing it. That had nothing to do with me being a female, right? That just had to do with the experiences that he had had in the past. But in in true fashion, I mean, the the one thing that I feel as a as a supervisor, my role is to make your job easier and to provide you with the tools that you need to perform your job and perform it safely. There was a couple of opportunities that I had with this individual where he needed some things and I got them for him and I didn't think much of it. I just thought that was my job, right? Well, he he came to my office. He made a point because each of my maintainers at the time would start in different offices. We didn't start together. He made a point to come over to my office from St. Paul to Minneapolis and have a conversation with me that he just appreciated that whenever I say that I'm going to get him the tool that he needs, I get him the tool that he needs. Or when I say that I'm going to fix a problem for him or I'm going to follow up with something, that I would actually do something like that. So it's those kinds of things where you realize, okay, some of the things that I'm doing are the right things to do. And apparently some of the things that I'm doing stands out from the way that other people have treated these individuals before. So I wanted to get to that. It's it's about how you treat people, right? You got to believe in your people. You got to trust your people. You got to be able to give them the ability to do their jobs. And I think from there is how the relationship will build. Yeah. And it sounds like you follow through and you execute, which is a huge part of keeping your commitments out as the leader. Yeah. I de- that's definitely one of the things that I try to focus on. That's great. Let me ask this. So obviously diversity, equity, and inclusion has become a really big focus for all companies. What has that looked like in the industry over the course of your career? Um, And I know that's a passion point for you to sort of model your own ideas in this space. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Thanks for asking this question because I'm actually really proud of the progress that we've made, you know, particularly at, at BNSF. I've seen it happen within the industry as well, but really proud of the progress that I've seen at BNSF. And a lot of that progress has happened in the last few years. And I attribute that momentum to our CEO, Katie Farmer. She's the first female to lead a freight railroad company. That's so cool. And so, yeah, so that's also very cool as well. But, you know, she started that position in 2021. And from that moment, you could see the push, you could see the momentum, the doors that were opening, um, and the focus that we started to place on diversity, equity, and inclusion at BNSF. And I think one of those great examples of that effort is what we've put into our business resource groups or our BRGs. And so basically these groups, it's a way for us to continue to advocate for our employees and really give an inclusive, open and collaborative workspace that represents those groups. So we have 10 business resource groups, which have helped to encourage and and support perspectives and every purpose that those BRGs touch. And it's really helped us to give employees the feeling of being included and receiving the support across our company. And I, and I can tell you, like, for example, for myself, you know, started with BNSF 19 years ago and not until a couple of years ago did I, I feel comfortable to share about my personal life, to share and be able to talk about my wife. And so I can see that there's been an improvement in that sense where those doors have been open, the environment has been created for people to be their true, their true selves, right? But I always say, you know, we have seen some improvement, but we can't forget that this is a journey. So it's going to get time. It's going to take some time for us to get to where we want to be, but very happy to see that we've started down that journey, bringing focus on the subject and that we're all going to be better for it by allowing people to come to work and really be their authentic and genuine selves. I love that. Yeah. We talk a lot about life and work are so interrelated that you can't really disconnect them. And I know you personally have felt that in your career, but are there other coworkers that you've seen make massive change because of the culture shifts? 
I would I would say so. I mean, I I think that from the support that we're seeing in the in the different groups, we have one that supports veterans. We have one that supports caregivers. And those are and I say those because those are some friends that I know that have been in parts of those groups. And so I know that they're seeing that support and that there's a little bit more of that that feeling that people can be a little bit more open about what's going on in their lives. Like I can tell you, I'm not typically a very open person about my personal life. But yes, does it make things easier to just be able to be your true self and talk about it if it comes up? Absolutely. And some people feel that they may get that support, especially on the caregiving network. Maybe before you felt like it was an inconvenience to talk to your boss about having to take care of of a loved one because they were ill. And now I feel like we've created that environment where, no, we, we need to put you first in order for you to be able to put do your job. So how are those structured? Are they just team conversations or tell me more? Because I would love to implement this at Samantle. Yeah. So each BRG has, I would say, one or two uh, senior leader sponsors. And then from there, each one has elected individuals, you know, the the president, the the secretary, the different, uh, I know there's always a, like a technology chair, a development chair and so forth. And so everyone's got their, their own role. I'd say I really like what I've seen from the development chairs that we have where each individual BRG is taking the time to evaluate the, the talent that we have, the diverse talent that we have, and then putting those persons connected with, with a mentor or putting them in some sort of mentoring program or some sort of feedback program that they can use so that way they can develop themselves. That's so cool. I love it. I'm going to steal that idea. I know a lot of companies are doing that. Well, circling back to you, one of the questions I've been asking this season, and I'm always fascinated with the answers, is that I think strong female leaders typically have sort of this inherent sense and desire for achievement, right? Always goal setting, always chasing the next best thing. But then with that, sometimes you lose a little bit of that day-to-day fulfillment or peace because you're always chasing the next best thing. My question is, have you experienced this in your career and sort of what words of wisdom have you gained as you try to balance those things? Yeah. So I'd probably say that's a pretty timely question. You know, I've had a lot of achievement opportunities in my career and success in the different roles that I've been in, but I recently have reached an important goal that I set for myself in my career, which is more on the fulfillment side, right? So that part doesn't happen very often, but it just it has to do with my my latest role, my latest promotion. It's a level that I've been working towards since I started the be- uh, you know, the beginning of my career with BNSF. And it, it took me a while, like I mentioned earlier, I, you know, I think I've been in 12 or 13 different roles. Uh, within that, I think I've lateraled about six times. I physically moved the seven times and I finally was able to reach this important place in my career and get to this level. And so very, very fulfilled by the fact that I've been able to do that. So I think um, it's fair for me to say that now I'm going to look for that balance and get back on the achievement side, (laughs) Um, which the fulfillment side. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And the fulfillment side. Yeah. A lot of opportunities for achievements that I can reach within the role that I'm in today. So I'm really excited for that. Just I'm looking for that next goal that I'm I'm going to focus on because I still got a, a long career in front of me so I can continue to get those fulfillment opportunities. That's amazing. I love that. Any other work-life balance tips? I, I don't always believe in the term balance. Um, I think that you kind of are sort of present wherever you need to be, but what have you learned? I've learned a lot about work-life balance, especially, you know, recently. I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is that you you have to make time for yourself and you have to make times for the things that are important for you. And it's a lot of that. It's just the type of people that we are. You know, I'm sure that I would imagine a lot of your listeners and 
I know the people that I surround myself with and including myself, we just have a natural mindset to work until you get the task done and get the task done well, right? But in reality, what that looks like is you're going to be focusing most of your time, if not all of it, into work. And that's not the balance that we need to have. And so, you know, and for me personally, uh, an important component of of work-life balance is I've recently become a, a huge advocate for mental health. And I'll admit that mental health wasn't always a, a priority for me. I just consider that I was pretty, pretty headstrong, um, you know, I had a pretty good head on my shoulders, able to manage several tasks at once, deal with a lot of stress. And at the end of the day, I was okay. I could brush it off and have a smile on my face. But recently, I'd say I've experienced a pretty hard, uh, hard time in my personal life. In 2020, my, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And things were going okay at first. She actually beat cancer the first time. But in 2021, it came back with a vengeance and things were just really hard. And then at the same time, I was balancing a new job that I had just started. My wife and I were actually planning our wedding reception because we were coming out of COVID. It's amazing how much time and effort of planning that that can take. And I just wanted to be part of the experience. We also had a nephew that had come to live with us because he was just he was looking for some help to get back on the right track, especially in school. And all at the same time, just dealing with my mother's treatments and her doctors and keeping her meds straight. And she went through a major life altering surgery, like in mid 2021. And that came with some lifestyle adjustments for her. And so my brother and I just trying to figure it all out and just how to, how to keep her afloat, you know, and so when it rains, it really pours. And so then, you know, the last part of the year of 2021, uh, my mom went into hospice. And during that time, my brother and I cared for her at her home until she passed. And so in, in hindsight, you know, during all that time, I didn't slow down with my other responsibilities. I didn't slow down with work. I didn't slow down with my personal. I worked remotely as much as I could, trying to juggle things from going between Fort Worth and El Paso, where my mother was at. Spent a lot of time away from my wife too, though. So it it all adds up, but I just kept pushing forward. My goal was to make sure that my mother was was comfortable and as safe as possible. With all that being said, the reason that I, I wanted to, to share that is because I think that that's how I've impacted my, my work-life balance. So some of the things that I've started to do that are important to me that I can focus on myself, for example, is I switched my workout routine to hot yoga. And the reason, let me explain that. The reason is, is, I used to go to a classroom setting um, in CrossFit, but in yoga, it's your time. You know, it's nobody talks in yoga. It you you have your space. It's your safe space, and it just became my one hour a day that I just found it so invaluable to my mental health that nobody else was in that hour during that day. It was just me. The other thing that I learned too was to start taking breaks. As simple as simple as that seems. I try to be self-aware now that whenever I feel that I'm getting overwhelmed or stressed or there's just too many things going on at once, I'm just going to lock my computer. I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk away and I'm going to take one of my dogs for a walk. Or if I'm at work, I'll circle around the campus and it just kind of helps reset my mind um, so I can get that quick break and I can get back into it. Those are great tips. And thank you for sharing that story. I think it just is such a good reminder that we don't always know what people are dealing with, right? Did that change your perspective in your interactions day to day with coworkers just to keep top of mind that people are dealing with life on top of work? You know, I go back to mental health. I wouldn't necessarily say it was at the top of my mind before. And now I, I think that going through the experience that I went through, I'm much more compassionate about it. The other thing that I learned too was 
I shared my story one time with my team after everything had happened. And it really stood out to me how people afterwards, when I shared it, came up to me and said, Val, I had no idea that that's all the things that you were going through. And so to your point, you never really know what people are going through unless they share. And so I've learned to try to be better about just sharing, sharing your experiences, because some of the things that I've had happen in return, that it's come full circle. I've actually had some coworkers that have come to me recently to share what they have going on, some issues that they have going on in their lives, some mental health issues, and just ask for my advice on how to handle certain things or what can I do about this when it comes to work? Or do you really think I can open up to my my leader about this? And so I think before I probably would have handled it differently where I very much had that mentality of, you know, just put your big girl pants on and everything's going to be okay. And I'm definitely not, I don't view it like that anymore. Every situation is different. Every situation is delicate. You never know what what that person is feeling at that time. And so just being supportive and as compassionate as you can is definitely, I think, the right approach. Well, I love that so much. And you're already getting into some of what I was going to ask you today, just about your own leadership style. Before I go there, was there anything else that you wanted to add around BNSF or your role today that you think would be helpful for our listeners to know? I don't think so. I think I shared with you, you know, a little bit about who BNSF is and Really glad that I got to share about what we're doing with with DNI at, at BNSF. Yeah, and I got to share with you about what I'm doing today, so I'm ready for the next ones. Cool, cool. I would love to learn a little bit about your core beliefs or leadership philosophies. You've already shared a ton with me today, but in terms of how you lead day to day, what are some principles that you hold dear? So some principles that I I hold near and dear. I do say this a lot. My wife would probably say I say this too much, but there's just certain aspects in your life that you just can't control. And you need to be okay with that. And it's all about how you look at it, right? And I try to apply this truth with a lot with like the people that you work with every day. The saying that I have is you can't control the people you work with. You can't control the people you work for, and you can't control the people that work for you. And as simple as that, you know, some people kind of argue with me on that at times, but I'm like, just think about it for a second. Maybe there's a job that you really wanted because of the person that you would be working for. And before you know it, that person leaves the company or gets promoted. And here you are working for someone that maybe necessarily wasn't the person that you had ideal. So stop focusing on the fact that you have to work with someone or that you don't want to work with someone and start focusing on how you're going to look and handle the situation so that you can have a positive outcome. Interesting. Yeah. I need that lesson. I love my coworkers. Don't get me wrong. We have an awesome time. They're some of my best friends, but you're right. At the end of the day, all you can control is you and your reaction to things. And it sounds like you've embraced that. Yeah. And that, so, you know, with that, you know, that's my, my work approach to it. And then a lot of what I try to apply personally, a little bit at work is surrounding yourself with positive energy that just comes with some people or things that are in your life. They just, they bring negative energy and that can make it difficult to enjoy the moment. Right. But there's always someone of equal positive energy out there. And so I always find it interesting how we tend to focus on the negative energy because we want to make it better and we want to make it work, but you don't even see that it's pulling, pulling you down. So it's important for you to take that step back and realize that you have options and focus on the positive energy. So that way it, it elevates you. There's a quote that I really like from Maya Angelou that this makes me think of where, and I hope I don't mess it up too bad, but it's where she says that 
I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. And so she would say that like her mission in life was not to survive, but it was to thrive. And so she would do that with compassion, with passion, with humor and with style. And I think that applies to both of the the truths that I just shared with you, because, you know, don't let that person that you have to work with you reduce you to their level, handle it with some style. And when it comes to positive energy, we were, were not put on this earth just simply to survive. We were put on it to thrive. And so surround yourself with people that are going to help you do that. I love that. Any words of wisdom for how to sort of gravitate towards that positive energy? Because I think day to day, we can find ourselves mired in the mess or the messy middle. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it's self-awareness, right? You keep going back to that energy for some reason. And I think we all think that it's going to get better, right? But then on the opposite side, you already have that positive energy that you need, but that's easy, right? So you go to it whenever you can, but that's where self-awareness comes in. And I just say, take a step back and take a look at the two energies and which one's the one that's going to help pull you up and which one's the one that's dragging you down. A lot of it is us and we need to be okay with not allowing that negative energy in our life. That's, it's okay to not want that. Focus on the positive energy. And draw those boundary lines and sort of lean into what you want. I think that's one thing that I've had to learn as a female leader is really tapping into my own personal desires and being willing to name them. Because if you don't tell people, they can't get on the bus, right? Yep. If you don't ask for it, you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. (laughs) Talk a little bit then about maybe some of your accomplishments or secrets to success. When you think back over your career journey, are there some things you're really proud of? Yeah, I mean, it, when it, when you say my my career, I would say probably one of the things that I'm really proud of is making the change from engineering to marketing. I went from comfortable to uncomfortable. <laughs> You'd be surprised, Valerie, how many people, marketers we work with that were engineers that tell me how challenging that is because it's a whole different language. A whole, It's not black and white. There's like a lot of gray space. So I'd love to learn more about that. I mean, it's true. I'm not naturally wired to work in the area that I work in today. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but I mean, every day I'm uncomfortable in conversations that I have, presentations that I need to give, because it's just a different, it's a different speak. It's a different way of thinking, a lot of reading the room, a lot of adapting in on the fly, you know, and as an engineer, things work in a sequential order, right? (laughs) (laughs) So so I always tell people, I'm like, it's not science. It's more of an art. There's no one right answer, right? And so I'm really proud of the fact that I was able to come into this, this group in this area. And it took some time to convince others and to convince myself. It took some time to teach me how to speak their language and think the way that they think. But it was, I'm just happy to say that maybe I did break that traditional mold that people tend to see in, in marketing areas. And also like those, those other engineers that you speak of that are now in marketing and that we're able to show that it doesn't always take just one type in order to be successful in this area. You're able to, to be different and bring different ideas. And hopefully, you know, you, you turn out to be successful in it. Like I, I like to say that I've been able to do that over in marketing. Well, and I think I totally agree with what you said. It's reading a room, right? I think one of the keys to success in marketing is knowing who you're working with, knowing your target audience, having that emotional intelligence to really understand what people need to hear. And it seems like you're really good at that. I I can tell just by talking to you, Valerie, you're very humble, right? You're one of the first to admit what you don't know and, you know, some of your failures, that sort of thing. How have you leveraged that to earn trust and model that it's okay for other people to be learning right along with you? 
I would agree with you. Yes, very humble. But I mean, a lot of what I've done in my career, I, I don't know a lot of things on day one. And I've just gotten comfortable with that. And that was, I really liked how you asked me that question earlier about how I've evolved in my career, because I don't think I've ever thought about it in that sense, where I was every day learning, 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 and maybe probably thought to myself, when am I going to stop learning? And so you never really stop learning, but you do start getting to that point, like I said, where you start adding value, right? And then I've just gotten to a point where I'm I'm comfortable with it and, and that's okay. And I think that's one of the best ways that you can make a connection with a person. Going back to, you know, how relationships with people are very important to me and I've seen this happen multiple times and no pun intended, but just, it's like a railroad crash, you know, when you just see them come in hard and strong and I know how to do everything and it does not go well with the room. It does not go well with the people. And then, you know, it's not only that moment where it didn't go well, but it's being able to come back out of that. And so was it really worth it? I mean, just come in. It's okay to admit that you don't know how to do something. Most people like to teach people. And so let them teach you, learn from that person. I am I am surrounded with people that have 30 plus years experience. And so they know how to do things. They've seen the failures. They've seen the things that work. And I'm more than willing to have that conversation with them and learn from them. Absolutely. Have there been any failures that you think back on and go, man, I screwed that up, but I learned a lot? I was thinking about that question. It's a, it's a hard one. Yeah, it is for me too. Because I take everything as a learning, right? It's yeah. always something that propels me forward, but Absolutely. Yeah, there's certainly been stumbles. Yeah. And I can't think of like one big failure that comes to mind, thankfully, right now. <laughs> but I think... When you ask me that question, I think what I uh, what I tend to do is analyze my interactions with people where I felt that it could have gone better or I could have handled it differently. And I, I feel like that's a, a mindset that's really helped me grow up. I would say that when I was younger in my career, my failures were about my emotional responses. You know, sometimes the my temper could get the better of me. But then, you know, growing up through those experiences and having thoughtful analysis of the encounters that I've had with people, I've been able to change the way that I interact now with my future interactions, right? And it goes back to that awareness. So, you know, awareness of myself, awareness of the others, you know, has really helped with with those interactions. And again, just like you said, being able to read that room and switch gears to be able to handle the situation has been really big for me. And giving yourself grace. You know, there was a certain sort of point in my journey where I thought, yeah, I'm not going to beat myself up over all these interactions anymore because I w- my heart was in the right place, right? And once you start being kinder to yourself, it makes your life a lot easier. Yeah. And he, I mean, I say the same things about failures. It's it's okay to fail. You know, I could tell you again, the, uh, I think Michael Jordan has a quote like that, right? Where he quotes like all the shots that he's missed, all the game-winning shots that he's missed, but he attributes all of his failures to all the success that he's been able to have in his career. I love sports. I love sports analogy. I love the mindset of athletes. And I think that that's important. It's okay to fail. Don't do it again. Miss <laughs> all the shots say. you don't take, right? Yeah, so that's right. Keep you know, pushing forward. That's how you learn. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because I'm one of the owners. Symantle is an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. 
We not only execute killer marketing campaigns, but we help organizations align around goals, audiences, messages, channels, and tactics to create more than campaigns, but programs that align to business strategies. Symantle has 40 years experience crafting positive, engaging customer experiences at every point in the consumer journey. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, head to symantle.com slash blog for more content. You'll find articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, webinars, and more to help you keep learning and growing right along with us. My last question for you is what I ask everybody. What's a question you have for someone else, something you're wrestling with right now? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, so I I recently turned 40 in January and I find myself, you know, constantly asking myself, what can I expect in this new decade in my life? Um, I don't know why I do this, but I did this when I was 30. So I'm not surprised, I guess, that I'm doing it now that, that I'm 40. But I do keep trying to tell myself, though, that my 30s were a lot of fun maybe even more fun than my 20s, which I probably didn't believe that when I turned 30, I would have had a hard time believing that. But I'm wiser. I'm comfortable with myself. I'm I'm happy. And so, yeah, if you have any advice for somebody who just turned 40, what do I have to expect? You know what? I, t- I, I turned 41 this year, so I totally feel you. I think that you start sort of that second half of life and you realize you only have one and you just are like, you know what? I am who I am and accept me or don't. And I'm moving on. So I hope, Valerie, that we can keep in touch and continue to grow this relationship and this friendship because you have been so fun to get to know. And it sounds like we're in very similar spaces of life. And I just appreciate you being here and sharing your story. It was really authentic and vulnerable. No, I appreciate you. Thanks for the invite. Well, there you have it. I'm so proud to bring you episodes this season from the hardworking women in leadership and decision-making roles, getting it done at Heavy Industry Brands. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, you can check out more episodes of the podcast at our marketingsweats.com website or find us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. That's a wrap for today. Keep up the good work, friends, and we'll chat again soon. 